This audio drama contains themes and descriptions some listeners may find disturbing. Content warnings for all episodes are available in the show description. Welcome to English Touring Theatre's Fucked Up Bedtime Stories for Adults. Strange Tales for Long Nights. The man, the man's mother, and the dog. And the uninspired title. Yeah, sorry about that. By Vivian Fransman. At the top of a hill in an old Andalusian village, there is a small white house. In the front yard, there is a rusty oil drum lying on its side. There is a dog. The oil drum provides shelter for the dog in the strict summer heat. The oil drum is boiling in that strict summer heat. And so is the dog. Because the dog has a fur coat, obviously. The dog is attached to the oil drum by a short and chunky chain. He can't walk more than two metres without being yanked back. It wasn't always like this for the dog and it may or may not continue to be so. This is his story. A 56-year-old man climbs the stairs to his quarters in the small house that he shares with his elderly mother. The house has been here in this wiggly village for over 140 years. It used to house a family of seven, two donkeys and a bread oven. Many years ago, The man's father won all of it in a card game, and the family of seven left in a cloud of anger and shame. The man's father is long dead. There was an incident involving an olive tree, an axe, and a lightning strike. It is an incident shrouded in mystery, and one we won't detail here, but we can continue safely knowing the ousted family of seven remain heavily implicated. The man's body fills the narrow stairway. He is as wide as a square. The walls on either side of him are of thickest stone. Sometimes it feels like they are squeezing in on him, which perhaps they are. The man's legs move slowly. His hamstrings are tight from digging up sweet potatoes all day and the steps are far too steep. No bastard has ever put in a handrail. That's what the man thinks every time he climbs the stairs after a hard day working the land. And then he remembers that the bastard who should have put in the handrail is him. And then he remembers how 12 years ago he went to the big city to make his fortune, but that went tits up, so he had to come back and live with his mother. Hate wriggles under his skin. He hauls himself up the steps, which are definitely getting steeper each day. The man is number one fuckface to his mother. Often, in quiet moments, she closes her eyes and dreams of her son's boyhood days when she'd place an arm across his little chest and pull his little bones into her, nuzzling the down on his neck as her prize. He'd kick her and pull her plait. It would hurt, but she'd just laugh. Some might say the man's mother set the man up for a fall. 
Some might say she led him to believe that he deserved love and success, despite his cruelty or his meanness or his tendency to correct people when they made a small mistake in a convivial chat. Others might say, stop blaming mothers for everything. Yeah, but what about the dog? Yes, okay, the dog. The dog is the man's mother's dog. The dog used to live in the house. She met the dog when her son left the village 12 years ago. It was an awful, wonderful day. Because yes, it is possible for it to be both. We can go back there if you want. Okay, let's do that. The man blasts off to the city in his new Audi towards his big new life. He leaves his mother standing in the tiny street in a choke of diesel. The man's mother, ever so sad, walks to the river. When she was a girl, the water was full of fish. Maria, next door, has told her that the fish are back, despite the river being full of pesticides from the terraces and floating turds from Steve, the English hippie who lives up the way and doesn't have a septic tank. I need to see the fish, the man's mother thinks. If I see the fish, everything will be okay. At the river, the man's mother finds a comfy rock. Her head is full of poignant fish memories. She sits for two hours watching the water bubbling up and along. She gets very, very bored. She should have known not to trust Maria. Maria is a massive bullshitter. Maria says she regularly sees the ghost of Carlos, the village artist, who shot himself in the heart 23 years ago. The man's mother knows this is bullshit and wishes Maria would stop saying it because it reminds her how they all should have been kinder to Carlos. But he was annoying, and always asking for hugs. The man's mother, feeling wretched at her unkind thoughts about Maria, who's actually her oldest friend, begins to cry. The cry turns into something bigger. She feels the collapse of being a widow in a village full of widows. She feels her son's abandonment to the big city. She feels that she is no longer a mother. She is no longer anyone's child. She is at the end. And there is no fucking fish. The man's mother howls. This howling goes on for quite a while. Exhausted, the man's mother blows her nose on her sleeve and gets up to go home. She stops. There is a noise. A mewling cry. It's coming from the other side of the river. She gathers her black skirt and fashions it into something a Thai fisherman might wear, and jumps from rock to rock, getting closer to it. The cry seems to be near and far at the same time. An echo bounces off the boulders onto her body, it travels through her. She spots a whirlpool of froth and scum. She reaches into the water and with all her strength pulls out a squirming sack. And from the squirming sack, she pulls out a puppy. She holds it up by the tail as it flick-flacks around. It's a he-puppy. His fur is brown, and he is as sleek as a seal. 
His body spasms and he shrieks as his eyes roll into the back of his head. On closer inspection, she sees a portion of his skull is bloody and caved in. Repulsed, she nearly chucks him back. But she doesn't. She wraps him up in her skirt and takes him to her little home. She sews up his wobbly head. He sits in the middle of her room, dizzy and weirded out. He stares at her. Neither of them knows what to do with the other. This goes on for a number of days, until the man's mother takes action. She decides to love him. Over the next ten years, the dog goes everywhere with her. He follows her out into the fields and lounges lazily in the shadows as she beats the olives from the trees. Sometimes he chases his tail, which cracks her up. He sprints after her battered old car down the mountains, or cadges a lift and sticks his face out of the window, inhaling the orange blossom on the passing wind. She throws him sticks and he bloody loves it. Sometimes she'll chuck him a sweet potato. Plop! And he'll chase it halfway down the valley and emerge triumphant, covered in burrs with it gripped in his gob. She takes him out in the evening to smell the jasmine hanging heavy in the air, which he thinks is alright, but he prefers to sniff a rotting fish carcass. Together they search out the lush stench of wild pig shit so he can roll around in it and mat up his fur. The dog lies in the man's mother's bed every night and she spoons him, her hand on his sweet, soft belly. He wakes her each morning with a lick of her nose and a paw on her forehead. Each time she enters the room, he greets her with the thunk, thunk, thunk of his tail. It makes her whole person sing. The man's mother can say, hand on heart, these are the best years of her life. The dog grows from tiny battered pup to old boy with rickety legs and grey flanks. Then the man comes back. The dog hates the man. He hates the way the man kicks the front door with a wallop, disturbing all peace. The dog hates the way the man's mother shrinks into herself. The dog puts up with it for as long as he can. It's a surprise to the man's mother that he waits so long. There is a pretty deep cut and quite a lot of blood, three stitches, maybe four, and a cool-looking scar on the back of the man's calf for the rest of his life which he will attribute to a shark attack. This scar will get him laid a few times. The next morning, the dog has a new home. The boiling hot oil drum in the yard. He is tethered to the drum with a short metal chain. The man's mother tries to protest, but she is afraid of losing what little love her son has for her. The dog paces up and down all day and all night. The days turn into weeks, into months, into years. His fur grows patchy and fleas infest his ears, his bones xylophone down the side of his body. His teeth start to wobble and one falls out. His tail stops wagging. Two years into his sentence, the dog is lying on the piss-stinking earth just outside the drum. The man and his mother arrive back from the land. The man leaves his mother to carry the vegetables into the yard. 
He huffs his way across to the house and hauls himself up the skinny stairwell to his quarters. No bastard has ever put in a handrail, he thinks. The man's mother drags the bags of veg from the back of the car and onto her aching back. A sweet potato falls to the floor. Plop. Thunk, thunk. The dog's tail hits on the ground. Thunk. A muscle memory from the good times. The man's mother stops in her tracks. She doesn't look at the dog. Thunk. She can't look at the dog. Thunk. She's rooted to the spot. Heat rises up from the soles of her feet, creeping through her body. Her blood bubbles up. Her hair begins to smoke. She turns to look at the dog, who doesn't raise his head, but still, his eyes meet hers in that way that dogs do. A fire rips through her body. Whoosh! Her eyelashes burn into her eyelids, shriek. Her lips crack like ripe tomatoes. Rip! Her skin splits and her fat dribbles out, yellow and gurgling. It slops to the floor, a gruesome pile of glob. Her skin peels off and hangs on her frame like old plastic bags on a tree. Her finger bones curl like petrified twigs, crick. Her skeleton falls into her boots, clack, clack, thunk, clack. Her bloody pumping heart hangs, suspended in the air. For a moment, the dog considers leaping up to eat it, because it's been years since he's eaten anything other than potato peelings. But before he can rouse himself, her heart bursts into a fireball, Catherine wheeling into the pink and orange evening sky. Her blood sprays up and over the house, each droplet infected with shame. One droplet speeds through the open upstairs window and lands on the man who is making his way up the stairs. He wipes his face and, without realising, smears his mother's blood along the wall where a handrail should be. The man's mother lies in a smouldering heap of bones and shame. Thunk, thunk, thunk. From the upstairs quarters, the man shouts down something about being stuck. The man's mother reassembles her body. Click, clack, click. She pulls her skin back on and pushes the fat back in through the cracks. She blinks through her singed eyelashes. She keeps her eyes fixed on the front door as she pats down her smoky hair. The dog stares down at the dirt. Her son shouts louder. He needs her fucking help. The man's mother takes a deep breath and makes her way inside. Her love for her shouting son goes around the world, reaching far-flung galaxies, and there just isn't enough love for the dog as well. The end. Actually, no, that's not the end. Of course it isn't. How could we leave a story like that? This is how it ends. This is how it actually ends. Click, clack. The man's mother reassembles her body. Click, clack, click. She pulls her skin back on and pushes the fat back in through the cracks. She blinks. She turns to the dog as she pats down her smoky hair. 
The man screams for his mother from the upstairs quarters. The dog looks up at her, meeting her eye. The dog is suddenly afraid. He sits up. She gently goes towards him as he backs into the oil drum, straining to get away. The man's mother wants to weep and give up and run into the house, but she knows that is not the answer. She slowly offers the dog her hand to sniff. He turns his head away from her, not knowing her smell, not trusting her hand. She crawls into the oil drum and curls up. It's bloody hot in there. Sweat beads her face and pricks at her smock. Her thighs stick together. She lies still as a child waiting for Father Christmas. She lies there for three hours. Meanwhile, in the house, her square-bodied son struggles to get free as the walls of the staircase close in on him. The house, steeped in anger and shame, squeezes him tight. The rough stone presses into his shoulders, waiting to hear his bones crack. He wriggles and chokes. The steps grow steeper until his feet dangle like a ballet dancer's. His body spasms and he shrieks as his eyes roll into the back of his head. A single drop of blood drips from his nose and splashes onto the ancient stone where the family of seven stood in the doorway and said goodbye to their donkeys. Crack, crack, crack. Inside the oil drum, the son's mother offers the dog every apology she has. Finally, he moves forward. He noses at her bum. He puts his paw on her thigh. He steps over her, his chain clanking. My poor darling, she thinks. She reaches forward and frees him. At this point, the dog could make a break for it. He could run for the hills and live amongst the wild dogs and the boars and the occasional German hillwalker, but he doesn't. The dog sticks his grotty beard in her face and licks the beads of sweat from the mother's head until she is cool. He nuzzles into her tears until she has forgiven herself. He turns in tiny circles because there's not much space in that oil drum for a fully grown woman and an old dog of medium size. He turns circles until he has found the right spot. He lays down next to her, his bony back against her soft breasts. His old head lolloped over her folded arm, and they fall asleep together and dream of their future life. A life that is full of trips to the olive groves and splashes with sticks in the river. A life where they sniff all the stinks that rise up from the earth that give them both such exquisite pleasure. The end. The actual end. Really. That's how it ends. Story read by Amber James. Directed by Jennifer Baxt. Music, sound and editing by Max Pappenheim. An English Touring Theatre production.